This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome back to another episode of the Hepatology Knowledge into Practice podcast, in which we discuss the latest evidence in hepatology with leading experts in the field. In this first series, we're exploring non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, or NASH, and in this episode, we'll discuss the latest advances in non-invasive screening techniques for people at high risk. We'll first review what current literature says about this, and then we'll be joined by Kenneth Cousy, who's Chief of the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes and Metabolism at the University of Florida. This episode is accredited for up to 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credits, so to claim your credits, go to diabetes.knowledgeintopractice.com to complete a pre- and post-activity assessment. As we discussed in the previous episode, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, or NAFLD, is particularly common among people with type 2 diabetes and obesity. NASH is a condition that occurs in around 20% of individuals with NAFLD and puts patients at high risk of poor outcomes, including cardiovascular events and hepatocellular carcinoma. But how can we identify people with NASH? Diagnosis requires a biopsy of hepatic tissue in order to histologically confirm the key features of the disease, steatosis, ballooning and degeneration of cells, and lobular inflammation. This allows a pathologist to differentiate between simple steatosis and steatohepatitis, as well as staging and grading of lipofibrosis in cases of NASH. Because of this need to histologically confirm NASH, it's impossible to make a diagnosis through non-invasive testing alone. However, this doesn't mean that non-invasive tests are not useful themselves. A number of serum changes and other factors are associated with the development of NASH and advanced fibrosis, which can help identify patients at high risk of NASH and thus possible candidates for biopsy. For example, an elevated AST-ALT ratio in the blood is an indicator of liver damage, and the enhanced liver fibrosis or ELF panel can assess the extent of fibrosis present through a serum sample. Transient elastography can also estimate the degree of fibrosis within a person's liver without taking any samples. By combining these non-invasive tests with general risk factors such as age, hyperglycemia and body mass index, it's possible to assign a patient with a risk score, which can be used to identify those patients at a higher risk of developing NASH rather than remaining with benign steatosis. One such scoring system is FIB4, which uses age, platelet count, ALT level and AST level to predict advanced fibrosis. Another scoring system is the NAFLD fibrosis score, or NFS, which is based on age, hyperglycemia, BMI, platelet count, albumin level and AST-ALT ratio. These two scores were compared and analysed in papers by Shah and colleagues in 2009 and by Nones et al. in 2016. A number of other scoring systems have been developed, such as FAST, described by Philip Newsom and colleagues in 2020, which uses AST-ALT ratio and transient elastography. So what does all of this mean in a clinical context? Today we're joined by Kenneth Cousy, who's widely published in this field and is Professor of Medicine and Chief of the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes and Metabolism at the University of Florida. His disclosures are available in the episode notes, where you can also find links to the references discussed today. So firstly, what's been the biggest advance in non-invasive testing for NAFLD and NASH in recent years? Well, that's a great question, Emma, and thank you for having me today. I, I think that we are getting to a point now with 
non-alcoholic fatty liver disease that we're understanding more its impact on the liver and on cardiometabolic disease. And we are developing useful guidelines. So guidelines um, across different uh, societies have had in, in common the use of uh, FIB4 to stratify fibrosis. FIB4 is a um, equation that comes out of very simple measures, which are age, uh, your uh, liver uh, uh, enzymes, AST and ALT, and platelet count. And you can, uh, this equation is available on any um, web browser, or many incorporated into the electronic medical records. And what the FIB4 gives clinicians, endocrinologists, and primary care doctors is the ability particularly to identify those that who are at very high risk of having what we call F3 or F4, so advanced fibrosis. And um, it's very simple. If it's that, that this calculator gives you a number below 1.3, you're probably um, in good shape, although there might be some patients with moderate fibrosis still in that group. Uh, but if it's greater than 2.6, and the way I remember it, I say 1.3 times 2, that's 2.6, and really 2.67, then you probably need to rapidly talk to your hepatologist for further workup. And, um, and in between what we call the gray zone, well, those people need additional studies, which people think that imaging with elastography might be the best way to go. But the value of FIB4 is that it has prognostic value for advanced fibrosis, cirrhosis, and uh, long-term outcomes. So that's why, and it's relatively inexpensive, right? So people are excited about that possibility. And what have recent guideline updates said around using these for screening people with type 2 diabetes and obesity? The, the uh, ASLD, the European guidelines, guidelines uh, in, the, in the Pacific and Latin America. Recently, we uh, developed in 2021 with the American Gastroenterology Association, a multidisciplinary effort that involved hepatologists, primary care doctors, diabetologists. Um, and we came up with guidelines that say first to fit for, and then uh, move on to elastography. The most commonly used in the United States is the fiber scan. Not only that, just this month in April, um, I have co-chaired with Dr. Um, Scott Isaacs, the first guidelines for endocrinologists, I mean, uh, by the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists, they're about to uh, coming out in April. Uh, and they basically centered the uh, screening on FIB4, identifying three big groups that are at risk, people with type 2 diabetes or prediabetes, people with metabolic syndrome, and people with steatosis or already elevated liver enzymes. We do the FIB4, they go into the low risk if it's less than 1.3, high risk about 2.67, or intermediate risk. And then the hepatologist would do uh, eventually the fiber scan. And in the United States, we added in our ACE guidelines, ELF, which is a commercially um, available test. But recent publications suggest that others would, would also be useful, like based on Pro-C3. And others are testing um, other commercial biomarkers like uh, FAST, MIS-4, um, 
and so forth. So there, it's it's an evolving field with new biomarkers, but for the endocrinologists or primary care doctors listening, start using in a standardized way the FIB4. So you say FIB4 should be used in diabetes and primary care clinics. Could you elaborate on how people with type 2 diabetes should be screened? Yeah, well, this is a great question because, of course, we can't screen everybody, right? Uh, even as the FIB4 is comes out of your, you know, routine chemistries, there might be an added cost of doing a second test. So nothing is free in life. But the group that the group at, at the peak of the pyramid of screening at the highest risk are people with type 2 diabetes who are also obese. I think this should be a group that should be systematically screened with FIB4, um, even if they have a history of liver enzyme elevation or not. Because again, we are using a high cutoff of 40 per liver enzyme, should be probably 30 as we recommend in the guidelines for ALT. And I think my answer is yes. Hopefully the ADA, American Diabetes Association, other diabetes association will recommend the FIB4 for people with diabetes. Now people without diabetes, but just obesity, uh, it will depend on how many features of the metabolic syndrome or if they have steatosis or elevated liver enzymes. But again, remember that uh, in the United States, 40 to 45% of people are overweight. Um, so that will put a lot of people to screen. So I would say, let's start with people with type two diabetes and then people with obesity, if they have those characteristics of, um, elevated liver enzymes, steatosis on any imaging or may, or, or, or severe features of metabolic syndrome. So what can clinicians working in diabetes services do to help improve outcomes for people with diabetes and NAFLD or NASH? Well, Emma, you're asking me all the right questions and seems that you've been thinking about this quite a bit. I mean, well, the real importance of screening um, by endocrinologists and diabetologists is because we have the people at the highest risk. A recent study that we will be um, presenting at a, at, a, at a meeting soon shows that in the endocrine clinics, um, the rate of fibrosis is twice as high as in the just primary care clinic. And I think that is because we see people with a long-standing and more difficult to control diabetes, which is typical of people with NASH. The second reason is because if we identify them before they have cirrhosis, I mean, we have things that we can do for them to never develop cirrhosis. So there are things today, even as we have no FDA uh, approved medication, there are things that are effective to prevent cirrhosis in people with NASH, but we need to diagnose them before it's too late. Finally, what are your take-home messages for both endocrinologists and hepatologists? Well, this is a very exciting time because for the first time, uh, endocrine societies, diabetes societies, obesity societies are realizing this is a real problem that the liver field has been paying significant attention the past two decades. I think there's a better communication uh, and a better will to work in multidisciplinary efforts. Um, and simple tests like a FIB4 and an elastography test plus some commercial tests can identify pretty well where each person stands in terms of liver health. And finally, I want to let the audience know that there are things you can do today in your office uh, to help your patient. Weight loss by any mean, 
lifestyle changes, medications like GLP-1 receptor agonist, and um, bariatric surgery reverse NASH and can improve fibrosis. Uh, and some diabetes medications um, also work very well. The best tested have been semaglutide with a study published last year uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine. Pioglitazone, we published the first study 15 years ago. There have been five studies showing that pioglitazone can reverse uh, NASH and, and, and the progression of fibrosis. And there are many studies undergoing away, but weight loss, GLP-1 receptor agonists like semaglutide and pioglitazone have all been effective and they're recommended in all guidelines and also in the endocrine um, guideline by the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists and that is going to be presented at their annual meeting in May. Uh, I'll, I'll help this multidisciplinary team to succeed. So um, I think that the future is bright. We should uh, reverse this trend of NASH being the number one cause for liver transplantation very soon. And uh, Emma, I mean, thank you for your time and hope to talk to you soon again. This brings us to the end of today's episode. In summary, people with type 2 diabetes are at increased risk of developing NASH, but systematic use of non-invasive screening techniques can help identify those who may have fibrosis in order to provide them with optimal management and reduce the risk of cirrhosis. Join us again in a few weeks' time for the final episode on NASH when we'll be discussing what can be done to manage this condition. So do subscribe wherever you get your podcast to be the first to hear it. To claim CME credit for this podcast and find other free resources, go to our website, diabetes.knowledgeintopractice.com. See you next time. <laughs>